It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.07 on a Saturday morning, 63 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I am here to do one thing. What is that one thing? It's to help you be more successful with your lawn, your trees, your shrubs, your flowers, your indoor plants, whatever you have a question about. If you need to know what to do, why to do, when to do it, I am your man, and it doesn't matter if you know anything to begin with. We'll figure it out together. If you don't know the name of a plant, <clears throat> excuse me, if you don't know the name of a plant, okay, we'll figure it out. If you're a beginner, okay, we don't care. If you're an expert, okay, great, let's learn some more, teach me. Any sorts of opportunities that we have this morning, we will take advantage of them on the Lawn and Garden Show. And all you have to do is call me, 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. Dan is in Atlanta, GA, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Dan, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. Appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks man. for your wisdom. What you got? Hey, yeah, I've got a uh, knockout rose bush in the uh, front here. And uh, unfortunately, got a bunch of holes in the leaves. It starts out as brown spots, and then slowly it just develops into, uh, you know, these small holes all throughout the sure. leaves. Just wondering what could be causing this. Um, I, I bought a pest, it's kind of an all in one pesticide or, you know, fungicide, et cetera, to spray on it about a month ago. But yeah. um, wondering if that's a good idea or, you know, if there's any, anything else I can do. Well, first, I need to tell you what the holes are caused by. And it's a very, very common insect called a sawfly, S-A-W-F-L-Y, sawfly, so named because the female has a little appendage on her rear end that looks pretty much like a tooth saw, and she uses okay. it to effect by sawing into the leaf and depositing her eggs, and when those eggs hatch out, they become little mm, caterpillary-looking things. They're not a caterpillar, but they look like a grub about ooh, half an inch long, They're this lavender green color. And they immediately begin feeding on the underside of the leaf. Their mouths are so small that they can only feed on that little layer of leaf underneath and don't even pierce through to the top of the leaf, which is why sometimes you see the brown areas, I call them window panes, but the brown areas on the top of the leaf that eventually will just deteriorate and fall through, making a sort of a round or oval hole there. Uh-huh. And so the sawfly larvae, the ones that are chewing, are doing it on the bottom side of the leaf, and then the holes develop after they have chewed on the bottom of the leaf. So the treatment has to be directed at the insect, because if you don't get the whatever you spray, if you don't get it to the insect, then not much control happens. So you have to be sure that anything you spray is under the leaf, under the leaf, spray it under the leaf to make sure gotcha. that it gets in touch with their, their, their skin. And you can use something as simple as insecticidal soap. It'll just scorch the skin right off of them pretty much. Uh, neem oil works fine. It suffocates them just like it does with any insect. If you care to use an, a systemic insecticide, you could use the bear tree and shrub, which makes the sap of the and the leaves of the rose poisonous. Some people feel that, that is a little bit too much risk to honeybees and pollinators, although the the science on that is less definitive. But other people would rather not use systemics, but you can make your own choice about that. It's all key to get the con- get the pesticide in contact with the critter, either 
by feeding or by spraying onto his skin? I think my issue was um, I was spraying from the top down, just kind of standing there as yeah. opposed to, like you said, getting underneath it. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. That's the and uh, the current leaves that are, you know, chewed, chewed through, should I, should I trim those off? You know, what what would you say? I you know, they still stay on the rows. They, they're green. they got holes in them, sure, but they still stay on the rows. And okay. generally speaking, unless you're growing show roses, I say if it's green, leave it on. All uh, right. And fertilize. Maybe fertilizing will give you more fresh leaves that won't, will cover over the leaves with holes in them and won't be so raggedy looking, I guess. Well, this has been uh, a good education. Thank you, sir. This is just a perfect morning, by the way, Dan, if you want to find one of these to go look at the about bottom side of the leaves of some of these holy, holy leaf roses, and you'll see the little green slug caterpillar thing underneath the leaf feeding on the thing, just to show what it is. If you want well, to. I'm going to walk outside right now and go cool, take a look. Cool hey, and humid. So they much. love cool and humid. Thanks for calling, Dan. All right, take it easy. You'll see you, man. Doug in Lawrenceville. Doug's out in Lawrenceville with a question about his weeds. Doug, what you got? Hey, how you doing, Walter? I'm fine, Doug. What's up? Um, I had put down some weed and feed on the lawn about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah. And I got, I was telling the, the I forget her name. Um, I have the driveway, and on the left side I uh, have lawn, and on the right side I have lawn. Okay. Right side came out fine. Left side has got a lot of brown spots on it. I didn't change the adjustment on the drop spreader or anything. Okay. But I didn't think I overlapped, but I got a lot of brown spots. My question is, is there anything I, I can put down to counteract that uh, weed and feed to, you know, help? So uh, what are you suspecting brown the brown spots or anything? Or do I have to live with the brown spots for a long time? I, I'm not understanding. What do you think the weed and feed had to do with the brown spots? I believe too much, uh, too much of the weed and feed went down because it browned up uh, less than three, four days later. Huh. No chance of anything else, and I, I can't myself think of anything else. But uh, can you think of any other reason to explain why you get these brown spots? Can you see, for instance, some of the weed and feed that's dropped and is still dissolving in the brown spot, or something that gives us a good handle on why the brown spots are there? Yeah, it seemed like it was just. It seemed like it got too much, uh, too, much too much weed and feed in those okay. areas. All right. That If that is the case, if that is the cause of the brown spots, then basically it's time will tell. Time will do the deterioration if chemicals are in contact with oxygen, sunshine, and water. They deteriorate. So it depends on how heavily the stuff is applied there, and just that is what will take more or less time, water, and oxygen to deteriorate the chemicals until the grass comes back. What kind of grass do you have, did you say, Doug? It's Bermuda. That's probably the easiest grass to cover over things like that. It, you know, Bermuda is an aggressive grass. It wants to get into where it can grow. Flower beds is what it really likes, but in this right, case, it's right. a dead spot there. It definitely uh, likes the heat and the sun. Sure, so. sure, sure, sure. The yeah. only other thing I can think of doing, <clears throat> Doug, is maybe flood those spots with water because water dissolves any soluble things that are in there, and they would get it out of the way and further down in the soil profile. So right. I don't think there's any neutralization or something like that that you can do yourself. It's just try to dilute the chemical and let time take its course and let the Bermuda fill back in. Okay, great. I okay. appreciate it, Walter. All right. Nothing to it then, Doug. Thanks for calling. Thank you, sir. We've got, right. who's next in line? Ken comes to us from Snellville, Georgia. Hey, Ken. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. Last year I grew some squash and they started rotting. I only got one out of it. Uh. And this year, if the plants are 
rotting right at the base of the flowers. Uh-huh. And I'm just wondering, you know, I've been set so short on time, haven't been able to get the soil checked and thought you might know the answer right off the bat. I have a suspicion. I have a very, very good suspicion, Ken. And I went to the CDC. I went to the CDC campus on uh, on Buford Highway in Chambly this past week and did a little seminar on vegetable gardening for the gardeners that are employees of the CDC there. And one of the things I pointed out to them is about the flowers on their squash plants and that there are definitely male and female flowers. And the characteristic that you see when you have male flowers at first is that the flowers will droop and drop and rot right on the squash plant, which is what you just described to me. Yeah. Ah, and I pointed out to them that male flowers usually occur on the vine oh, a couple of weeks sometimes before female flowers ever make their, make their way on and start opening up to be pollinated to make your squash. So here is your homework. Go out to your plant, and when you see a flower open, look at how it connects to the main plant. There's a little stem underneath the flower. And if that little green stem underneath the flower does not have a squash or a zucchini or a cantaloupe or a watermelon or whatever growing there, if it does not have any of those fruits attached to the flower, it's a male flower. It has pollen, lots of pollen inside, but that pollen has to get over to a female flower, which is the one that does have a little tiny cucumber, squash, watermelon, cantaloupe underneath it. So that is part of the deal, is having the pollen transferred from one to the other. That's best done, of course, by insects. And so one of the things you can do to ensure good pollination is to plant uh, things like verbena, salvia, um, alyssum is a good plant. If you go to the garden center, many times you can wander around and look at the plants and you can see which ones are attractive to bees because the bees will be working them while you're in the garden center. You'll see bees coming down and touching some of the flowers. They will be the ones I'd take and plant around your squash plant. Hmm. Well, that's an easy fix then. Yeah, it can be fixed. But fortunately, it's pretty easy to fix. Time sometimes takes care of it because the male flowers and female will start occurring at the same time. And they have to be there at the same time during one day. Only If you haven't noticed yet, the flowers only last for a single day. And so you want to have the bees there during that day when both male and female are present. And then you get pollination, and then the fruit develops, and all the pollen inside the female fruit makes it swell up and become a characteristic cucumber, squash, melon, whatever you're growing. Well, terrific. Terrific. I'm glad you did your homework. I am <laughs> <laughs> glad I did my homework, too. I've had this happen to me before, and I sort of observed the same stuff. Get your pollinators out there, get male and female flowers occurring at the same time, and then we're going to have some melons and squash and things like that. Thanks so much for calling, Ken. It's great talking to you. Right now it's 7, there it is, 717. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today's temperatures will be in the mid to high 70s. Pretty pleasant day outside. Overcast a little bit, of course, and a little bit of a chance of rain some places around Atlanta. Overnight lows in the 60s, mid-60s, we think. Tomorrow warmer. Tomorrow in the 80s, perhaps. And it's going to be really nice to be outside on Mother's Day to take your mother out and enjoy the flowers. 
Have a great time outdoors. Overnight lows the same in the mid-60s. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We have, let's see here, Robert has a, has a hint, he believes. It might help the person that was a little bit scared of lizards a while ago. Robert, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Good morning. So what, what's yeah. your hint, Robert? I have... I have I have four cats. They are just a year and three months old, and they are very good at getting rid of lizards and mice and all those things. So you think that cats would be the lizard control method? You think you'd recommend? Yes, and if if, if the lady if the lady need any any of the cats, they might have four, and I would. <laughs> I would be willing to get rid of two of them also. You will volunteer your cat control method there to get rid of squirrels and mice and lizards. Right. You should go into business, Robert. Maybe you should have rent a cat and rent a cat for lizard control and have a little truck go around with a bunch of cats in the back and uh, anybody who has problems come to Robert. I, I want to get rid of the cats definitely because it's restricting traveling right now. I'm going to travel to Illinois. Uh-huh. And I just bought a kid for $100 to carry them around with me. Oh, wow. So I really want to get rid of some of them. <laughs> I'm not sure how wife, I can help you do that, my, Robert. But <laughs> my, wife, my wife is very very much attached to them. Yes. Love them. And mm. she don't want to get rid of them, but I want to get rid of them. Well, I don't want to get in the middle of that argument. I think you and your wife are going to have to figure that out about the cats. Yes, but you, 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 can, uh, you can give your lady my number and ask her to call me. And we can hurry in something. Well, we don't take phone numbers, and we don't match people up on phone numbers here on the radio because that would be a liability problem for us. But we can at least announce that Robert feels that cats could be a way to control lizards. They don't know if all cats are going to be lizard control agents. But if you have a cat or if you want to go to the pound and pick up a rescue cat, which is always a good thing, bring her home and uh, check her out and see if she's a lizard controller, a mouse controller, and see if we can get some relief from your lizard mouse Rat, squirrel, problems with lizards, with cats, I mean. Robert, thanks so much for calling. we got to go. 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. Roseanne in Sawbridge has three rose bushes that will not bud. What is going wrong with that? Ty in Woodstock has insects are cutting off his uh, something here that he's going to need some help on. Charlie wants to know the proper way to fertilize citrus trees. And I have a comment. Ashley Frasca, our normal call screener, Saw some roses in front of a local big box store. She says these roses have disease and they shouldn't be here. We'll talk about that a little bit later after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 736, 64 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do, whether it's roses or Rose of Sharon or Confederate Rose or any of the other plants that might be called a rose that isn't really a rose. Portulaca is a ground rose. So if you have a question about anything in your garden, all you have to do is dial me, 404 872 0750. Roseanne's down in Stockbridge and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hi, Roseanne. Good morning. 
Hey, Walter, how are you? I'm well. How can I help, Roseanne? Uh, I have three rose bushes that get green every uh, spring and summer, and there's not one rose bud on it. That's disappointing. We don't want that. No. <laughs> what kind but of yet roses? I have others, and they're fine, so I can't figure out what's going on. What kind of roses are these? How are they different from the others? Uh, I, the others I, are better, I think they were Jackson and Perkins. Right. And these, I think, are they may be they're considered knockout. I'm not too sure. Mm, how are you fertilizing? How? What kind of sunshine well, do they get? I put uh, rose food on them uh, usually twice a year in the okay. spring and in the fall. Okay. So far, so good. Full sun? Um, uh, yes and no. Well, don't give me how, the how much of the, the no. <laughs> that doesn't get the sun until late in the day. How many hours of direct sun does each one get? Oh, uh, well, I would say maybe uh, in in the in the summertime, probably twelve hours. I don't, you know. Well, twelve is twelve is plenty. If you'd said four, then we would know exactly yeah. why they're not budding because they have okay. to have sunshine for a rose to bloom very well. Okay. So I'm. Not really giving myself, you know, not finding an answer in my head that would explain why it doesn't bud even. Because you fertilize, so it obviously has the leaf cover on it. Leaves stimulate buds, and buds stimulate flowers, and there we go. And you have enough sunshine, too. And those are the two main factors, and these don't seem to be old, you know, bedraggled roses or ones that you just put in the ground yesterday either, so they're not they're established. They're not uh, young or way too old to be in the spot. So the only suggestion I have is fertilize a little bit more, maybe three times a year. Again, oh. trying to get the most leaf surface you can on that rose because leaves definitely have the hormones on the buds that say, make us bloom, make it bloom. That's what a rose wants to do is to reproduce itself, and that's how it does it, by blooming and having the rose hips, the seeds afterward. So okay. let's fertilize a little bit more. And I can do it now. It's okay. When did you fertilize last? Um... About two months ago. Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. Do it now. Okay. I'll try it. Water it in real nicely, and we'll see what happens. Okay. All Thank right. you so much. Thanks for calling, Roseanne. Bye. Ashley Frasca, this past week, sent me a sent me a text message. She said, look at this rose I found in front of the, a local store. And she said, does it have rose rosette virus on it? And I looked at the picture, and I thought, yay, yo, it does have rose rosette virus on it. It was a big great, beautiful example of rose rosette virus. And if you have not seen this, it is very distinct. And that was why Ashley's eyes were drawn to it in front of this store, the landscaping in front of this big store. It's a red, red, I mean red sprouts coming out of the top of the branch. They're all a little bit twisty, a little bit bedraggled, sort of octopusy looking at the ends of it. They don't look like they are normal sprouts coming out of the rose. But more specifically, in Ashley's case, thorns up and down those red stems just thorny 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 up and down the stems and i don't think she went inside the store to call the store manager and say you need to get these out but that's exactly what should happen to any rose that has rose rosette virus symptoms on it the rose has to be dug up bagged and destroyed because the rose rosette virus is incurable it doesn't do anything except spread little mites are so light that the wind fly, uh, blows them around to other rose plants in the neighborhood so in this case, Ashley correctly pointed out and identified rose rosette virus. You should inspect your roses. Make sure the roses you buy and the roses that you have in your landscape do not have any symptom of really, really red stems coming out of the middle of the plant, 
sort of gnarly looking on the ends with lots of thorns, that is rose rosette virus. Keep an eye out for it. It's more and more common every day. At 741, we've got Danny in Douglasville joining us. Hey, Danny, good morning. Good morning, Walter. What can I do for you, Danny? My question is regard to some erosion on a new road that I'm uh, installing on my, to my cabin. Yeah. Uh, I have 12-foot banks on each side with the fresh soil. And uh, my question is, in regards to the ground cover, what could I place on that to slow the erosion down? I think the DOT has a mixture of things they use in some parts of the country. You're up in, let's see, is, is the road in Douglasville or somewhere in the mountains? Dan? It's in Paulding County. Okay, so it's not far away from you. No, sir. I think the DOT sometimes uses mixtures of Lespedeza, maybe some love grass and fescue that they hydroseed onto new banks, new cuts where they make a new road there. Right. So um, that's one way of doing it, using Lespedeza, which is a some people consider it an invasive plant, but grows so fast that it just holds the bank better than just about anything can can uh, do. Is the bank very long? Is it like a quarter mile long or just 20 feet? Uh, it's about uh, 300 yards. Long ways in there, so you're going to have to spread a good bunch of seed. You know, another place, i got a source for you. There's a okay. seed company in Jackson, Georgia called Adams Briscoe Seed. Adams Ad, Briscoe. Adams Briscoe, okay. Yeah, and I believe their web web name is abc.com. But uh, Adams Briscoe Seed has a bunch of different seed mixes for doing things like this, like okay. lining roads, like putting out for deer plots, like putting out for turkey plots, and doing all the sort of industrial things you can do with seeds. I would give them okay. a call and see what mix they have that they would recommend for use on the cut bank like you have. I think they would give you more really specific advice than I can, Danny. Sounds great. I surely appreciate that. I hope you have a wonderful day. Danny, you the same, and happy Mother's Day to you and all yours. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you a lot. Goodbye. Right. Thank you, Dan. We'll see you. Ty is in Woodstock. Ty, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, man. Uh, good morning, sir. Hey. How are you? I'm doing great. How can I help? Hey, I've got uh, some Aspidistra cast iron plants, and I've got several colonies. Yeah. And a couple of colonies are being attacked, and something's cutting them off at ground level. I know what and it is. Why? Well, hey. <laughs> you just start talking about cutting off at ground level, and I know what it is. Voles. Voles ate the stew out of my Aspidistra a couple of years ago. Uh -huh. yeah, I had an infestation of them about two years ago, and I got rid of them, and they're back. They're yeah. back. Ty, yeah. we do the same thing we did at my house and your house, too. Get some mouse traps, bait them with peanut butter, put them underneath a little cardboard box so the birds can't get to it, and catch some voles. Yep. But they're not, I've got some other big colonies of uh, Silosolum that are fairly close, but they're not after those at all. Who knows why? <laughs> Who knows why? Sometimes animals go for one plant, not for another, and eat them, but... If it's cast iron plant, that's good favorite. They have the root. You, you've dug them up, haven't you? You've seen the sort of thick root that cast iron plants have, and I think the yes, that tastes good for whatever reason that the voles like to eat it, so they chew off right at the base of the of the leaf and eat some of the root, too. Now, on the other hand, this variegated Solomon seal also has a nice thick root, but I don't believe I've had any damage done to mine anytime. Perfect. I'll go back after them. Get some like traps. Them. Get the voles. We don't like them. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you your time. You bet, Ty. Thanks for calling. For those of you who don't know what a vole is, it's a little meadow mouse. It's a little mouse, and they love to chew on the bottom part of 
various woody and sometimes herbaceous plants like the cast iron plant that Ty had, commonly, 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 I would get pictures of people email a picture of the bottom of their rose plant and all the roots, save maybe one, have been chewed off at the bottom of a rose plant or a camellia or a nandina or a newly planted apple tree sometimes where the voles come in, they hide in the mulch around the base of the plant and they just chew, 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 chew because it's real sweet. They don't have a lot to eat right now. And so they chew off the bottom of the plant and it just falls off right there in your hand when you go out in the landscape and look at it. Bang, it's on the ground. And the treatment for them is, as I've mentioned to Ty, it's pretty lethal. Get a mousetrap. There's no repellent for them. Get a mousetrap, bait it, put it under a box so the birds and other you know, beneficial things can't get to it. Catch the voles, dispose of them, and get the population back under control. Phil is in Decula and joins us. Hey, Phil, good morning. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Phil, we're doing great. What you got? Um, we are, we got a hill that we want to... I think plant some juniper on it. Yeah. Uh, for ground cover, just because it's really steep and hard to mow. And I'm trying to figure out what kind would be the best uh, to be able to plant that would spread over a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, the blue rug and shore junipers both are really good spreaders. Okay. And the key to making them spread is not, well, it is what you do when you plant them because. I know a lot of banks where you have erosion problems and things, there's nothing but clay, nothing but hard soil on that bank. The best thing you can do then is when you plant it, make a nice round, oh, two or three foot wide area that you have amended, that you've made some good uh, organic matter dug into the soil. Put some fertilizer in there like Osmocote slow release fertilizer, mix it in real good and then plant your juniper plant and then it can go from that point spreading outward and downward on the bank to give you the cover you want as quick as it possibly can okay but it's all about getting that first initial planting hole made really really receptive for a plant to grow as fast as it wants to so the bank is covered and doesn't have erosion on it anymore the blue rug or the what shore s-h-o-r-e shore juniper shore juniper okay yeah. There are other kinds of spreading, low-growing, ground-covered junipers. If you go to a nursery, go to a pike, of course, and say, which are the varieties of juniper that spread and grow the fastest? And they'll probably okay. point out the shore, they'll point out blue rug, and they'll maybe have another two or three they'll show you as well. Okay, but the ground preparation is the important part. Absolutely. All right, thank you, sir. All right, nothing to it. Thanks for calling. Uh-huh. We'll see you soon. It's 747 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the Lawn and Garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, up into the mid-70s, a couple of chances of showers this morning, but warming up into the 70s this afternoon. Overnight lows in the mid-60s. Tomorrow, warmer for Mother's Day in the mid-80s. What a great day to be outside. 404-872-0750 is the number you can dial while you're waiting for our full weekend forecast, which comes up in 10 minutes. Bill's first in line. Bill, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hi, man. Good morning, Miss Watt. Hey, Brother Bill. What's going on? Yes, sir. I was calling about some hard thing. I don't know the proper name for it. I call it rabbit tobacco. Oh, yeah, sure. Growing in my lawn. Yes, sir. And I don't know what to do about it. 
the good news about rabbit tobacco is it is an annual plant, which means as good as you can, Bill, dig it up, pick a little trowel or a little hoe or something like that, and just dig it, snag it with the corner of the hoe or a trowel, and dig those plants out as soon as you see them, and they won't develop into the big stalk that makes the rabbit tobacco that I used to smoke as a child. And uh, generally speaking, if you control it for a year or two, the seeds that are underground won't have a chance to sprout. And after a year or two of good control, you won't see it anymore. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Did you ever smoke it, Bill? Come on, you got to tell me this. Yes, uh, from Fed, Bill, we used to smoke it. <laughs> what did you wrap it in? What did you wrap it up with? Thank you so much. No, wait, 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 wait. One more detail. What did you wrap the rabbit tobacco in? How did you smoke it? did brown paper. Brown paper. We use Reader's Digest pages. I think that's what we had. <laughs> and then somehow we went to Stone Mountain, and in the gift shop at Stone Mountain, they had a corncob pipe. And so we bought a corncob. My brother and I brought a corncob pipe together and would share it to smoke rabbit tobacco. One of the nastiest, smelliest, ugliest things <laughs> in the whole wide world. <laughs> we do not recommend it to anyone. Bill and I do not recommend smoking rabbit tobacco to anyone in this, within the sound of our voices. No. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> Big it up, Bill. We'll see you, man. Okay. Bye-bye. The other name for it is Cudweed. C-U-D-W-E-E-D. Cudweed for reasons I don't even understand myself. We never chewed it for certain, like a cow would, choose, would chew her cud. But uh, cudweed, uh, if you see it, rabbit tobacco, if you see it, it's very distinctive in a, in a lawn. It has very silver, white, silver uh, leaves and a rosette on the ground. They're typically about four to five, six maybe inches wide. And these little silver rosettes will develop into a long stalk, about two, two and a half feet high. And on this stalk, the leaves will dry and have a very characteristic twisty motion to them. And if you crush them, they're pretty aromatic. And you can actually save those leaves and put them in a bag and put them into places where you want to have a sachet to smell sort of nice where you keep your clothes over the wintertime. But the preferred use, I guess, of the children of my neighborhood was to take rabbit tobacco and roll it in Reader's Digest leaves and smoke it or in a shared corncob pipe. I'll let you take that advice for what it's worth, which isn't all that much. It's 7.57 at News Talk WSB. Coming up in the next half hour, Rick in Snellville wants to know what to do about his frost-proof gardenia. The leaves aren't looking so good. Margaret has a rosebush question about the buds on hers. Ann in Watkinsville also had a frost-proof gardenia. He wants to ask about them, too. If you want to call me, 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news.